Confidence, Sons on Radio 3, and I will wait. Friday afternoon, our first movie couch time with James. I've changed the title now. Uh, for 2021, join us on Facebook Live if you have a mo and you're into movies and Netflix shows, basically. Hello, James, how are you? Uh, freezing. Yeah. I don't know about anything else, but, but I'm very cold. Yeah, it is a bit like that. Apparently it's 10 degrees now, and that's in town. And you're in Arctic Siberia, Saikung, aren't you? Yeah, and I checked a couple of hours ago and it was like seven degrees where we are. I hope you've wrapped up warm. Freezing. I have. I've got like the hoodie on and the thermals <laughs> no, and all awesome, that. Awesome so. stuff, yeah. <laughs> well, where do we go, James? Well, yeah, we, here we are. A new year. Nothing seems to have changed. Uh, cinemas are still closed. <laughs> um, Netflix and other streaming services seem to be scrambling somewhat. I don't think they were prepared for this uh, level of output or this d- level of demand six months ago, a year ago. Yeah. And so uh, they're, they're stretched pretty thin at the moment, but I have managed to find a few interesting new things to watch uh, across a couple of different platforms. We've got Pieces of a Woman, uh, a bit of an awards contender coming up with uh, Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. We have I'm, I'm Your Woman, with um, Rachel Brosnahan, who people might know from, uh, uh, what's it called, Mrs. Maisel. Uh, What's it called, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the TV show. And we also have Shadow in the Cloud, which is a World War II action-horror-adventure hybrid starring Chloe Grace Moretz. So all three of those. Jolly good. Uh, so Hugh and I, before the news, were talking about Bridgerton. And, and you haven't watched it. I'm kind of glad because... It would just end up in a slanging match. <laughs> in that case, I think I'm going to make the effort and I'm going to watch Bridgerton. Um, yeah, it's been it's been sort of eyeballing me on Netflix and I just haven't really plucked up the courage to do so yet. So you've watched it, have you? Uh, I'm in the process of, but under duress. And the missus is uh, putting you in front of it, is she? <laughs> no comment. Okay. <laughs> No, 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 no. Cinematically, you'll flip your lid, but I'll just leave it there. I'll just leave it there. Okay, well, and now I feel duty-bound hey, to watch it by this time next week, so I, w- <laughs> I, will, do- <laughs> I will do that, and then we can uh, suffer together. Uh- I've just lost you, James. I think you've... Uh, you're, you're, I can see you. You, sound, you look beautiful, but it sounds like you've unplugged something. Can you just twiddle? He is there. We're not having a... No. Definitely can't hear you, which actually isn't such a bad thing. Yeah, there you go. How about now? Easy, easy. It's not a lollipop. (laughs) Can I hear you now? (laughs) Is that okay? You can hear me, can you? Don't take it out on the microphone. Go back to where you were before. The mic is working. He is your friend. All right. Sorry, mate. Carry on. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Um, I was just saying that while I didn't watch Bridgerton, there was another (laughs) series on Netflix that I did check out, which is called The History of Swear Words. Yes. Uh, hosted by none other than Nicolas Cage, yeah. which was, uh, you know, some sort of not casting, but it gives him something to do during lockdown, I suppose. Uh, it's a curious show, actually. I wasn't sure what they were going to do with it, but it's six 20-minute episodes, each one focusing on one of the big, prolific swear words. Yeah, awesome. Uh, this is, this is going to be a tricky, <laughs> do do tricky the, one to talk about. they do about. the prolific swear word? They do the F word, okay. they do the S word, they do a B and a D. Uh, there's one mild one, which I could probably say right now, but I won't just to be careful. Um, 
there's there's a couple there's at least one yeah. glaring sort of omission and oh, I wonder no, whether there's really there's one uh, there's one I wonder whether they've held it back in case they get a second season <laughs> um because it's not I mean it was our good friend Howard actually who mentioned um right off the bat uh, George Carlin's famous list of words you can't say on the radio. Indeed. Uh, which obviously... And they don't follow that exactly, and so there's a couple of those that aren't uh, discussed. But, okay, so what I can say is that each 20-minute episode is hosted by Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. and they pick, a, they pick a particular word, and then they discuss, actually, they discuss it actually quite intelligently and quite academically. Uh, is it, I, th- I think they must make the point that most of these words were fairly innocuous when they first came out, or in some of their cases, a bunch of letters stuck together, apparently. Well, yeah, a number of them are acronyms, or, or there are stories in pop in the popular uh, history that that that's how they started, and they either validate those or debunk those. And it's a number of comedians and a number of linguists and academics and what have you yeah. all look at sort of the etymology of the word, you know, where its origins, where it came. Almost all of them seem to have come from sort of medieval England, and. Um, and then sort of look at how it's being used and the number of different uses uses and why it's so popular. You know, there, there are some scientific experiments into why we swear, why that particular part of the brain is triggered. And it's, <laughs> it's actually slightly more substantial than I had, uh, put, you know, I, I sort of perceived it would be. I thought it was going to be quite tongue-in-cheek and a bit of a joke, particularly the, the fact that they've got Nicolas Cage up front but after a bit of sort of pomp and ceremony at the beginning and many an F word thrown about, they actually sort of settle down into something that's quite smartly addressed and you can actually learn something from. So, I mean, I blew through the whole thing in one sitting, you know, all six episodes, it's, that's two hours of your time. Uh, and uh, I, I feel almost enlightened after the fact. Yeah, well done. I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, you know... A few weeks ago, we were talking about Tenet and perhaps, you know, Gone with the Wind or whatever on the mass... And here we are talking about a doco on cursing. <laughs> How times have changed. Yes, uh, well, exactly. I, th- I applaud us for our ability to pivot and uh, evolve with the times quite as gracefully as we're doing, you know. Your ability. Um, I'm just sitting here no, inviting no, no, no. people to join us on Facebook Live so you can tell us um, how we can make James's bit a bit longer today, in fact. Basically. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, there isn't really a great deal else to say about it other than I do recommend that you check it out. Um, if younger viewers are in the room, they will not be able to join you or you, their, their vocabulary might be significantly broadened oh, after the fact. words already. Sure, but I would not wish to be in any way responsible for the prolific use of those words by certain children anyway what am i saying it's it is interesting you know and it is uh, it does delve into some of the more interesting stuff is what you know why why we swear the way we do and why the brain sort of triggers in that particular way why that did particular it get you thinking of center or, or it, it, yeah you know it's a it, very it, easy it, power it is engaging word. The one, the, particularly the one that they've apparently left out. And if you're, if a bit <coughs> quickly, if you're English, you're going to be going, what? Yes. You cannot do a documentary on swearing without a certain word. 
But being a medical, right. I mean, you can't let even me, say that. Let me address this for the record. Mm. I mean, let me address address this as specifically as I can without yeah, yeah. saying. <laughs> can so, we talk about film um, in a minute, please? <laughs> Sure, sure. I mean, there's there's the B word, you know, for a female dog, and it and they do talk, they do look into how that has been used, you know, as a very gender specific word, and why, and how, and and how it's unique in that regard. Sure. Uh, and so th they actually get into some fairly sort of interesting conversa uh, conversations ab about that one in particular, and how that does differ from any of the others because it is gender specific. Yeah. Or, or it can be used to sort of emasculate a man if, if used to, with a man. And so there are some quite interesting conversations there. I mean, they, one of the ones that they don't use is obviously the big racial slur. They don't do that one. Um, I don't know whether they will or whether it's just too problematic to even talk about. I think it's a different room, that one, actually, if you think I about think it. I think so, because it's... Yeah, I think so, because it's... I don't think there's much of an evolution there, linguistically, or anything. It's just, that's the word, and it's awful. Yeah. And... You wouldn't I, say I, so, certain words if you suddenly bashed your hand with a hammer, but there are certain words you definitely would say, and these are, the, these are they. <laughs> sure, 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 I think, I think so. I mean, so, the words that they have chosen, they've obviously chosen carefully, um, without sort of shy... I don't... It doesn't feel like they're shying away from anything, oh. but it, like I said, there are... They're addressing it in a very intelligent manner, and that is certainly appreciated. Albeit with a bit of a Nicolas Cage flamboyance How thrown in. How is he? How is he? I saw the trailer, that's all. And, you know, the guy's style. Yes. But what did you think? Oh, well, well exactly that. You know, I, I love a bit of Cage, and the more, uh, the more uncaged he is, the better, in my experience. You know, if he, when he goes full Cage, as people like to call it, it's, uh, it's a sight to behold. It's a sight to behold. And um, they, you know, he is just larger than life. I've had the privilege of interviewing him you and meeting him. I have, you know, that was at, at the Macau Film Festival a couple of years ago, and he is everything you would want Nicolas Cage to be. Uh, you know, he regards his uh, his acting as uh, he talks about using his implement, you know, his instrument, and applying his instrument. You know, he, his the instrument. way that he, yeah, when he talks about acting, he talks about the way that he uses his in instrument. Yeah, yeah, uh, and um, he is. Uh, uh, What's the word? Influenced by sort of German expressionism and the avant-garde and all the rest of it, and is perfectly happy to admit that that's where he is uh, drawing his inspiration from in order to play these very supposedly grounded, down-to-earth contemporary characters. Does he step away from the, any notion of methods and systems? For the very fact that he says, I'm using my instrument, that means he's using a third party to be... To, he's acting, basically, whereas these guys he's tend a, to yes. be... Has he, did he mention that at all? Yeah, I mean, he's he like I was saying, he has no in, he has no interest in, in being sort of ground in grounded method realism. Gotcha. You know, this is an artistic expression for him, and he goes all out, larger than life, and so it's fascinating to have him front and center in this particular arena. Um, we've probably talked about this show longer than it actually runs for. But, uh, That's right, it's your spot. It's, you can talk about is... crumbly candy bars for all I care. I have one, actually. actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so it is worth checking out. I mean, it's not for those easily offended by bad language because obviously that's what it's about, so it is full of bad language. Yeah. Uh, but go. that's kind of the point. And it looks into 
what is bad language and why is it bad language? Oh, and listen, there, and is, there is a tiny bit of a segue here because, you know, when scriptwriters, um, screenwriters, they, I bet they think deep and hard about where to put a profanity. Do I really need it here? Should I use it here? Is it going to have an effect here? Because you can't just go effing and blinding all over the place because it's like yawn, right? Well, I think that differs from case to case. So there are certainly some filmmakers and screenwriters who are like that, you know, where you can't change a single comma or pause. You know, playwrights like David Mamet and Aaron Sorkin mm. and people like that famously oh, yeah. are very protective of their lexicon. Um, however, I think and other filmmakers cer certainly encourage as much uh, improvisation as you want. And you do see... Where there is improvisation, swearing often often is what creeps in. Yeah, it is, and that very quickly. That's that's the crux of the doco, isn't it? It's, it's a crutch to us. It's, well, it's exactly it's exactly that. I think for a lot of people, it is it is a crutch. It reminds me of an old housemate I had. I can't say what he used to say, <laughs> but every time he opened his mouth, pretty much yep. instead of kind of going, um, he would he would utter the same swear word just yeah. as a kind of mental stopgap between opening his mouth and actually. Acknowledging what he's he like going to say. Or, or, it was very bizarre. Yeah, I've got an Aussie mate like that, and he may or may not be on Morning Brew on Tuesdays, but it's quite comical <laughs> when he's in full flight. <laughs> and so, yeah, so the show also looks at particular areas of pop culture and where certain, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about hip hop and rap music and how certain swear words are, are pre more prevalent there than others and why. Uh, it looks at cinema, it looks at which films have the most swear words and which actor. Yeah. And that will surprise you. And you can tell that Nicolas Cage was actually quite upset it wasn't him. <laughs> which actor is, has the most F-bombs in, in their career? And that was, you know, things like that. So they, they keep it, they keep it light, they keep it fun, but, uh, they also, they also teach you something along hey, the way. Hey, I've got, I've got some listener feedback. Actually, this is a question. Oh, brilliant. This is from Steve. He said, I'm trying to help James keep busy then. He said, has he seen the Peacock TV series, uh, A Brave New World? Question mark. If so, any good? And how close to the novel is it? Not such good ratings. I haven't. Um, I'm a huge fan of the novel, Brave New World. It's one of my favourites. Um, no, I haven't watched it. It is a notoriously sort of unfilmable novel i think a lot to just to do with the plot structure it's a film let it's a story less about sort of n propulsive narrative than it is about ideas i think um i will probably get to that there's a number of of these kind of sci-fi shows that i haven't got to like man in the high castle the philip oh, k dick yes. one i haven't yes 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 i haven't watched that um or the new ridley scott one raised by wolves i haven't watched that either right. well, uh, we, we i'm so really we, lagging behind we ought to talk about what you what was the last thing you watched uh, I watched a film about 10 minutes ago. I thought you might. <laughs> yeah, literally a, sh a film I'm, I'm about to review after the news called I'm Your Woman, uh, starring Rachel Brosnahan, which is on Amazon Prime right now. Okay. Uh, okay. And I literally just w stopped watching it about about half an hour ago, actually. Yeah. All right, little topic, Et, to take us down to the bottom of the, uh, the hour. We talked ages ago about the change in habits um, has it basically become a paradigm? There's no going back that, you know, just going to the movies, it's brilliant, but it's a thing of the past. We now naturally do the stuff mm -hmm. you're talking about now. Has that possibly happened? Uh, absolutely. Like you say, there is no alternative. Uh, people have had to, uh, you know, really go in search of finding something new. It's, you know, a lot of people I know just had the habit of, oh, it's Friday evening, it's the, we go to the movies on a Friday Indeed, evening. So and they'll go watch whatever's on. Whereas now, 
they're really sort of looking at this this wealth, but you know, like an ocean of content out there on the streaming services. And there are more and more streaming services. But what do you invest in? It's getting back to the days of like sort of original premium cable where every studio had its own <laughs> channel. And it was almost like, well, which ones do I subscribe to and which ones don't? And you know it's only a matter of time before you can get a package which will subscribe you to all of them. And it's, you know, we're coming, kind of coming full circle again in, in the satellite and the t- cable realm. All but- right, it's nearly news time. Real quick, what do you want to get into straight after? Okay, we've got Pieces of a Woman, I'm Your Woman, and Shadow in the Cloud. Lovely. Well, we, you sit tight, James, have a cup of tea, and what we're going to do is hit the weather and get to the news. Radio 29 minutes to one. James Marsh, long and strong. Let's have the main feature now, shall we? Okay, uh, Pieces <laughs> of a Woman is uh, already making a lot of awards buzz, particularly for its star, Vanessa Kirby. Uh, this is the first English-language film from Cornel Mundrusko, a Hungarian filmmaker who made some very good stuff, including White God and Jupiter's Moon, that people may have seen. Uh, Vanessa Kirby here, who we all know from The Crown. She played Princess Margaret in the first couple of seasons. Since then, she's been in Hobbs, Brilliant. Hobbs and Shaw and Mission Impossible Fallout. So she's already sort of becoming quite a name in Hollywood. Uh, This is, a, as the title might suggest, Pieces of a Woman. It's a traumatic sort of family-based drama about a young woman, uh, a young sort of mother falling to pieces in the wake of uh, the death of her newborn baby. Okay. And um, so the film opens, uh, you know, has a couple of introductory scenes, but then it opens with this sort of bravura 22-minute single take uh, in her home where her and her partner, played by Shia LaBeouf, and the uh, midwife, who is not the midwife that she had planned to have the pregnancy with, but she's a last-minute replacement, played by Molly Mm -hmm. Parker, comes to the house and... She goes into labor, count the contractions, has a bath, and they go through the uh, the entire pregnancy in this long sort of snaking single take that goes round the house and through the ha- through the houses, as they say. Um, as we run the gamut of emotions from sort of nervous tension, apprehension, st- you know, stress, there's different midwife coming, uh, you know, to calming her down, and then nausea and all the rest of it, and then moments of elation and jubilance, and then ultimately, as we kind of know is coming, tragedy. Um, Sadly, after that, the film never really is that good again. You know, this is this is an absolute sort of standout. So you get like half an hour into the film, tragedy strikes. You've just had this breathless twenty-two, like I said, twenty-two minute sequence, and after that, you know, it skips ahead a few weeks, and then what we see is the ensuing months in the sort of the aftermath as uh, Martha, Vanessa Kirby's character, grows more distant. Sean. Her sort of blue-collar construction worker partner. Uh, he falls back on some old vices that he had. You know, he's he's an addict who'd been in recovery, and he falls back. And then in the background, you also have this sort of overbearing mother figure of uh, Martha's mother, played by Ellen Burstein, great uh, you know seventies actress star of like The Exorcist and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Requiem for a Dream, more recently, and sort of you know. Th- so you've got sort of her whole family sort of basically it's just about the family sort of falling apart. Now I'm sad to say that a lot of the sort of symbolism in the story is very sort of clunky and very on the nose. Uh, this was a stage play originally uh, by uh, Kata Weber, uh, and Wondrusko adapts it with her. 
But a lot of the imagery, just it just feels very sort of unsubtle. I mean, you've got Shia LaBeouf's character. He works in construction, and yet, you know, he struggles to maintain any stability in his home life. Uh her great sort of uh, maternal instincts are, are are fed when she just sort of looks into uh, developing a new hobby of sprouting and she is in the, in the process of sort of uh, eroding her relationship with her own mother you've got this very sort of domi- domineering matriarchal figure she's an immigrant herself from hungary it doesn't play into the story too much you know that feels definitely like that's mondrusco's own input into the script you know having been a hungarian himself uh, and it doesn't play in too much specifically that she was Hungarian, but you know, but she is someone who came from nothing, built herself up, uh, is now very wealthy, and so she has sort of long uh, ingrained issues with her daughter's choices, and then the choices thereafter, and then always in the background, you've got the looming uh, court case that is coming up, you know, because the the midwife is being put on trial. You're not entirely sure at first who. Is really the drive force behind all of that. You know, the family's obviously angry. Uh, they're in mourning. They're grieving, and they're looking for somebody to blame for everything that has happened. And so you always have that kind of looming in the background. Um, you know, it's a very sort of emotionally overwrought piece. It gets it sort of slips into melodrama at times. It's played out against sort of the icy winter of of Boston, and you're like, okay, I get it. Cold weather, cold relationships, and literally there is this sort of ongoing motif of a bridge literally being in the background, and you're like, oh, is this about reconciling one's differences and rebuilding your familial bonds? Well, it's cut. It's a little on the nose, right? Every now and again, it cuts back and forth to the project that the husband was working on, which is building, literally building bridges. And you're like, oh, come on. Um, so it's, you know, it's like I said, it's well photographed, and at times it's very well directed. Uh, the theatricality of the source material does creep in ever so often, sometimes in good ways, like with the single take element at the beginning which was obviously if that's how it played out on stage you know that would have been very effective however it gets towards this court case which would it puts scent of a woman to shame do you remember scent of a woman yeah with al pacino yeah and that, that, that decent movie yeah, a decent movie for two for two-thirds of it and then it ends up in the most sort of contrived ridiculous pseudo court case uh as does this and it feels very um clunky very overtly theatrical but scent of a woman's court case kangaroo court case in many people's book mm-hmm. goes down as a great movie moment because you're going yes i've seen i've was reading about it the other day it's in lots of collections it may not be yours well they're wrong they're wrong <laughs> it's 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 al pacino at his most overblown oh, it's and amazing. uh Come on. That, that sequence in particular, where it's a young Philip Seymour Hoffman as one of the guys being uh, indeed being tri- on trial or whatever, it's it's ridiculous. But here, it it feels very artificial. That's it feels it. very sort of melodramatic. It's yeah. very like overly theatrical for a story that is that is also at times incredibly grounded and incredibly realistic. The performances remain very very good throughout. Vanessa Kirby, I think, sounds a great chance of garnering at least an Oscar nomination, I think, for her performance. She's already won the Volpe Cup, which is the Best Actress Award at Venice, where yeah. this film premiered back in September. Venice, one of the few festivals that did actually go ahead this year. She won Best Actress there, and I think she will almost, she's guaranteed a nomination at least, I think, for the performance. But the rest of the cast is also very good. Ellen Bernstein's great. Ben Safdie, um, 
Ilse Schlesinger, the uh, stand-up comedian, is in there as well. Um, Sarah Snook from Succession. She's the daughter in Succession. She's this is all well and good, James, but at this stage of the programme, I'm not absolutely sure that I'm going to believe anything else you say because looking around your screen, I know you've got a Lego Stormtrooper in its box, not built right behind you. <clears throat> well, you're partly correct. This is a, an alarm clock in the shape of a Lego Stormtrooper that belongs to my wife. Knock off one. So, rubbish. You put it in there on purpose. No, no, no. She's going to get it. Come on, put it on. Bring it in. Bring it in. There you go. Thank there you. There you go. Thank you. I've just been it's, focusing on it's that. It's very... Ri well, you know, flattery will get you nowhere. Anyway, where were we? Uh, I was saying... OK, so ultimately... A piece of a woman is almost worth tuning in for just that first half an hour. Uh, and the, the performances remain good, but the film itself sort of unravels uh, as quickly as the relationships on screen do, unfortunately. Thank you very much. Steve's back. He says, uh, I want the cinema to open as soon as possible when they're back, because we were talking about paradigm shifts. He also says, agreed, James, Scent of a Woman is not a good film. But it's not a snitch! <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I, I know I'm right. It's okay. Thank you, Steve. You know, we, we will convince Phil together that uh, Scent of a Woman is a bad movie, um, particularly at the end. And he, uh, Al Pacino should have won an Oscar oh. way before they gave him a consolation prize for that movie. Moving on. Okay. Uh, so I'm Your Woman <laughs> is a film I just watched this morning. Lovely. Uh, now, this is uh, directed by... It's, it's a 70s set crime drama but told from a very sort of I, I felt quite unique perspective reminds me a little bit of um is it the Cassavetes film Gloria from the set back in the 70s um it's it's directed by Julia Hart and who she co-wrote it with her husband uh, Jordan Horowitz now Jordan Horowitz is most recognizable to most people yeah. as the producer of La La Land who grabbed the mic at the Oscars to say they got it wrong Moonlight won, you know, and he held up the, the thing. He was that guy. Um, so he's also the uh, co-writer of this. It stars uh, Rachel Brosnahan, best known as the marvellous Mrs. Maisel, yep. as a sort of young uh, trophy wife of a guy called Eddie. Uh, she knows that he's successful. She knows that he does kind of like shady deals, uh, but she doesn't really know much about about him uh that you know but she, she's sort of kept at home they've got a very nice house she's not really allowed out she's not allowed to drive she's kind of kept in a gilded cage if you like yep. and uh she finds out she can't have children he says doesn't matter it's okay i love you anyway and then he shows up on the doorstep one day with a baby and she's like who's that she's like he's like this is our son don't ask any questions here you go okay uh, you know, a bit of a bombshell, but she kind of reluctantly embraces it and obviously very quickly forms a strong bond, only for then one night. She's woken up in the middle of the night by one of his associates, shall we say, saying, we've got to go right now. She's thrown into a car with a bag of cash uh, and a uh, young black guy called Cal, who is her driver, who's going to take her away. No, Again, like, don't ask any questions. She's like, where's Eddie? Where's my husband? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Turns out, you know, obviously Eddie is a gangster, at one level or another, he's got himself in some serious trouble, and she is now on the run from the same people he has crossed. Uh, with only uh, Cal, uh, this sort of subordinate who's now sort of driving her around the place, and the baby for company. He dumps her in a safe house, and but then again she has to get moved around. And essentially the story is just about her 
learning how to look after herself, learning how to be sort of self-sufficient. Like I said, she couldn't drive a car. She couldn't even cook. She can't do anything for herself. She says in a panicked moment near the beginning of the film, I've never been on my own. I don't know what I'm doing. She certainly has no experience being a mother. And now she's got this baby that, you know, gets sick and is crying all the time and all the rest of it. And bubbling away in the background is this sort of constant impending threat of very real danger, possibly deadly danger. Uh, and she has nobody to turn to for help until every now and again, you know, someone bursts through the doorway and is like, right, come on, we've got to go, or something even worse happens. So it's sort of, a, in some ways, it's sort of a classic sort of crime gangster story. Mm-hmm. And it's told with a real sort of 70s aesthetic, 70s sensibility. It's got that kind of washed out, muted colour palette. It's got the the sort of drab, yet sort of still rather cool clothing. And the cars, you know, it's as much a road movie as anything else. Uh, and But it's seen from the perspective of sort of the wife who has been kept in the dark the entire time. She, the more, you know, as slowly as this world, this underworld opens up before her, she realizes sort of how little she actually knew about her husband and how, about how, about herself and about how to operate in the real world and how that she, she was really so, so young and naive. So mm. it's a film very much about her finding, finding herself, finding her own identity. But at the same time, it really works as a kind of gangster movie, as a crime thriller, but just told from this very sort of unique sort of female-driven perspective. And I really liked it. Like I say, I just watched it this morning. The performances are great. The direction's really cool. Like I said, the aesthetic is great. Excellent soundtrack of 70s classics on the radio all the way through it. Uh, and it's just nice to see one of these films. I've seen so many of these kind of gangster crime movies over the years. And it's so nice to see one from this sort of different angle, from this new perspective. Just remind us what it's called, if anybody's just joined us. It's called I'm Your Woman, and it's on Amazon Prime right now. Lovely. Couple of minutes, or do you want to put the lid on it? No, 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 I've got a couple of minutes. <clears throat> it's about all that shadow in the clouds deserves, I think. <laughs> um, okay, so very quickly, this stars Chloe, Chloe Grace Moretz as a British WAF. She's a, uh, she's a first officer, she's a trained pilot, uh, on an allied airbase in New Zealand. She kind of sort of stows away on this bomber as it, uh, as it flies off, apparently on a mission going to Samoa. And they're like, what are you doing? The, the crew sort of uh, very quickly, you know, they're, they're immediately sort of aggressive and demeaning to her, most, mostly because she's a girl. And she has a package that she is protecting, and it's classified. They can't open it. Uh, hurriedly, they you know, throw the package away, and then they push her down into sort of the the uh, the, the, the the little sort of uh, gun turret compartment on the bottom of the plane. I can't I can't remember exactly what that bit's called. And they kind of lock her in there, and then the, pretty much the whole film is told from her point of view, stuck in this little box, um, talking just to the other characters on the radio. And then she suspects that there is something on the plane with them. The film opens with one of these sort of classic World War II, almost sort of cartoon PSAs, talking about gremlins in the machine and how gremlins aren't really the little critters and the monsters. You know, they get blamed for everything, but it's just bad pilots either drinking on the job or sleeping or not paying attention, and they're the real cause of this kind of thing. What the film suggests is maybe it's not. Maybe a gremlin is actually a gremlin. Hmm, Twilight Zone. Now, this is... 
Yeah, it's, this is exactly what I was. This is what I was going to say. This is of a World War Two era Twilight Zone episode <laughs> stretched stretched to eighty three minutes, and it's it's absolute nonsense. It, sounds, it really is. It's directed. You're, you're talking it up a treat. I mean, the idea sounds great, doesn't it? Actually, mm. the period. Well, I mean, it's it's written it's written by a female filmmaker called uh, Roseanne Liang. Uh, it's directed by her, uh, rewritten by her from a script by uh, Max Landis, yeah. uh, who is something of a uh, persona, persona non grata these days. Uh, heavily rewritten script uh, to sort of definitely sort of play up sort of certain feminist angles of the storyline. Um, but this is a story that is, like I say, it's absolute bonkers nonsense, but it recognises that, leans into it, and it embraces how just mind-bogglingly nonsensical it all is <laughs> to such a degree that you kind of just have to sort of go with it and go yeah this is stupid but it knows it's stupid and it's actually kind of fun and i'm watching it right right exactly you know so either either you're going to turn it off after about 10 minutes and go no i can't do this but it does it with so much sort of in enthusiasm it's a bad movie that knows it's a bad movie and it's like come on let's just have a bit of fun together and at 83 minutes it doesn't outstay its welcome and you're just like yeah this is nuts this is so daft that uh i'm just gonna go with it yeah and you're absolutely right it's basically a twilight zone episode bargain basement job right remind us once again today what we should or shouldn't go and see and then we're out of here Okay, that's called Shadow in the Cloud. That's on Amazon Prime. Yep. Uh, and it's just bonkers. <laughs> uh, the best film out th that I've been talking about is I'm Your Woman, which is on Amazon Prime as well. Crime thriller with a difference. Uh, also on Netflix right now is a, a awards contender, Pieces of a Woman, which is only Pieces of a Good Movie. Right. James Marsh, as always, thanks for giving us Marshy Movie Time. We'll do it again next Friday.